Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, speaking of the Bible, uh, which I highly recommend, by the way, as you guys try to read it maybe once in a while, please say something. Praise God for Pastor Bobby. The rest of you, man, I'm glad you're here. We're going to help you out. But anyway, but according to the Bible, you know, the Bible uh, says that we in the last days, 2 Peter chapter 3, what kind of society are we going to be? How do you know you're in the last days? Scoffing society. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but uh, we're in that society. And, and scoffing is just, uh, unfortunately, all over the place. And they don't just scoff at God and Jesus, the Bible, Christianity in general. Now they're really ramping it up in your face scoffing. And they're scoffing specifically at this next prophetic event that's going to happen on God's end time calendar. Watch this episode of The Simpsons. Left below. Ooh, uh, he is risen production. I wish you'd come to church with us, sweetheart. Church? I'd rather play golf on the holiest day of the week. Oh, finally, a character I can relate to. I bet good things happen to him. But honey, with recent troubles in the Mideast and other ominous signs, the rapture could soon be upon us. The rapture? Easy there, Helen. Science has shown religion is just an old wives' tale. <gasps> I'm sorry, but the only thing I'm praying for is that you take it easy on our credit cards. <laughs> Mr. Thompson, what if your wife finds out? It's modern times. Everyone's doing it. Where did my Christian limo driver go? My pious husband is missing. Mr. Thompson, what's happening? It's the rapture, Shauna. The rapture. The virtuous have gone to heaven and the rest of us have been... Left Below. <gasps> Left Below? Where have I heard that before? It's the title of the movie. <gasps> it's everywhere. We were fools. And because we rejected God, tacitly accepting Satan, we must suffer through the apocalypse. I thought all religions were a path to God. I was wrong. Why did I put my faith in science and technology? Why did I choose to be gay? Oh, this movie will haunt me for the rest of my life, just like Cannonball Run 2. Actually, unfortunately, in your question, in mocking and scoffing the scripture, including specifically now the rapture, you should be saying, why didn't we listen to God? Oh, you can laugh. You can scoff all you want now. I don't recommend it. But that event really is going to take place. And for those of you who have not received Jesus Christ's wonderful gift of salvation and forgiveness, you won't be left below. You'll be left behind. You'll be thrust into the seven-year tribulation, and you'll wish it was just a made-up cartoon. Don't make that mistake. Don't be a part of that scoffing society. Get saved today. And that's why we're going to continue our study. Are you ready for the rapture? And again, this is a study where I call the rubber meets the road, man. We could disagree on all kinds of things, but man, don't get eternity wrong. Don't be left behind, okay? And we've already seen several different things so far about the rapture to help people get ready for it. That was the basis of the rapture, the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, the reward of the rapture, the timing of the rapture, the objection specifically to the pre-trib rapture that the church leads prior to the seven-year tribulation, which we believe the Bible clearly teaches, and then the last four times, we've been taking a look at the problematic positions 
on the rapture, okay? And we started, of course, with the wonderful good news, if you will, tongue-in-cheek of the post-tribulations. Yay, here's your blessed hope. Encourage one another with these words that you're going to be through all the seven-year tribulation, right? And then if we were here last time, we dealt three weeks on that one. Last time, we began the journey with the second problem. That's the pre-wrath position, right? Again, there's your blessed hope. Encourage one another. You're going through three-quarters of the seven-year tribulation. Yay! And what we saw is it doesn't just disagree with what we believe the Bible teaches, the pre-trib position. It's got some serious problems, right? Just to recap again, the pre-trib rapture, what the Bible teaches, says that the church leaves pre-prior to the seven-year tribulation, right? And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, we're up in heaven. Well, unfortunately, the scoffers and the mockers, including the Simpsons, apparently, uh, folks, uh, they're going to be on earth experiencing God's wrath. They didn't have to. You should have got saved today. But we come back with Jesus at the end of the seven-year tribulation at the second coming. But pre-wrath says what? Post-trib says all the way through. Pre-wrath basically says three-quarters of the way through. Okay? And obviously, that's not just diametrically opposed. Okay? Uh, it, it, it disagrees with the Scripture, and it creates all kinds of problems, confusing problems. And last time I checked, God is not the author of confusion. When you come out confused and it contradicts the Bible, that's your clue. You got it wrong. Get back to the Bible, okay? And that's what we saw last week as we began that journey with the pre-wrath position. It confuses the timing of God's wrath. It confuses the timing of the day of the Lord, and it confuses the timing of God's judgment. Man, they just got to squeeze it, uh, twist it, uh, contort it to get their preconceived idea in there, and all the judgments are completely out of whack, messed up, all because why? Why do we see was the motive? Why did... Van Campen come up with this recent 1990 version of the rapture because he had pre-trib friends. If you heard last week, you remember this. And then post-trib friends, okay? And he felt he needed to make the scripture work the two together. You can't work them together. They're diametrically opposed. But that's what he did. And this is what he came up with. And it spread across the United States, not because it was so incredibly biblical and popular, because he uses his multi-millions of dollars and mailed them out in the United States. That's how this one got off to a start, okay? But we reject it, not just because we're lazy Christians. We're, those Christians are a bunch of chicken livers, and, and you can't be prepared like the rest of us strong, mighty, prideful, arrogant people who are going to make it through the seven-year tribute. No, we reject it because you disagree with the Bible, okay, is why we do it. But unfortunately, that's not all. The fourth confusing problem with the pre-wrath position is they confuse the identity of the church. Now, on one hand, this isn't, uh, yeah, okay, repeat after me. Bye, Pastor Billy Lunch. Bye. Let's get specific because I don't want to make a mistake. Bye, Pastor Billy, non-chicken-related items. Bye. Yeah, yeah. You got to be specific these days with hypnosis. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> but they confuse the identity of the church. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise because what we saw with the post-trib position, but you're going to see with every position, post-trib, pre-wrath, again today, mid-trib, anytime you put the church in the seven-year tribulation, which the Bible is very clear we're not, as we saw in the pre-trib, okay, then in order to make your position work, you have to squeeze the church in there somewhere, right? You got to find some sort of text and make it appear to be the church. Same thing that goes on with pre-wrath. They do the same thing on a big scale, okay? And the first thing that we're going to take a look at, they try to uh, uh, confuse, is the identity of Israel with the church, okay? And I'm sorry, God has a separate plan for Israel. He's not done with Israel, Okay, if you say that, that's replacement theology, that's false teaching. But guess what? The church does not replace Israel. The church is not Israel. Okay, period. And, and specifically in the seven-year tribulation, the Bible is very clear. That whole purpose of the seven-year tribulation has nothing to do with the church. It's all about Israel. 
So once again, let's go back to that classic text, demonstrating this first confusion by the pre-rathers that the church and Israel won the same, and that's how they squeeze us in the seven-year tribulation. Uh Uh-uh. The whole reason why we have a seven-year tribulation has nothing to do with the church, okay? But once again, let's listen to God's... Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 27. Let's take a look at where it all started. If you want to understand the purpose, the reason, why we even have a seven-year tribulation in the first place, why not nine years, 135, you not start in Revelation, start in the book of Daniel. Daniel is where we get it. So let's go back to the original mention, the original purpose, and meaning of the seven-year tribulation to get it right. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 says this, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people who? Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God, uh, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in the vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me, Daniel, and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And as soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. How many? Seventy sevens are decreed for who? Your people, obviously Israel, says there, He says, are decreed for your people and your holy city to what? To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be what? Seven sevens and 62 sevens. For those of you hooked on math, what is 62 plus seven? 69, all three of you, praise God. The rest of you get a calculator. Right? But 69 weeks, right? So after 69 weeks, all right, it will be rebuilt with streets with, and a trench, but in times in trouble, after the 62 sevens and the seven, 69 weeks, the anointed one will what? Be cut off and will have nothing. The people, the ruler will come, will destroy uh, the city and, and, and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with the many for what? One seven. That's that final seven of the 77s, the seventh-week prophecy, right? He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. That's what starts that final week. And in the middle of it, midway point of the seven-year tribulation, what's going to happen? He will put an end to sacrifice and offering, right? And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And of course, Jesus mentions and Paul mentions, you may be seated, by the way. That's not what they mention, but by, you might be seated. Uh, that's in the Southern Hidden Hebrew Greek translation. I'm joking, obviously. Uh, but uh, Jesus and Paul reiterates the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt Jewish temple at the midway point of the seven-year tribulation. But here's my point. If you ever wondered why there's a seven-year tribulation, why they keep saying seven years, seven, why isn't it two or 135 or whatever? Why is it seven? Because what do we see in the context? This is where it first appears in the scripture, not in Revelation, here. It's the final week, seven, of Daniel's what? 70th week, right? 69 have already come and passed with Jesus, what? Making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he was, what? Cut off, rejected by the Jewish people. And ever since then, if you will, God's prophetic time clock was at the birth of the church. And then there's that one seven still hanging out. Now, what's the whole purpose of the 77s? The prophecy was what? As he tells you the reasons why there, basically, that's when God's going to finish fulfilling the promises he made, the Abrahamic promises, also the Davidic promises that one would come from the lineage of David, the Messiah, and he would rule and reign literally over the whole planet from Jerusalem. Now, is that happened yet? Is Jesus in Jerusalem ruling the whole planet? And we got times of peace and peace with nature and all that. Uh, last time I checked, no. 
Okay, so it's still yet future, right? That's what the whole purpose, and he's talking about the context there is Israel. Now, here's my whole point. You look at the verbiage here, and we've already dealt with this before, but again, this is what the pre-wrath position does. Just like post-trib, just like mid-trib, they've got to find a way to squeeze the identity of the church in the seven-year tribulation. And again, they do it with Israel. But the problem is, we just saw, you look at the context here, where's the church in all this? Rhymes with nowhere, for those of you wondering. Let's just analyze that again. You tell me where the church is here, right? Just, just quote scripture. What a concept. Verse 20, my sin and the sin of my people, Israel. Who's that? Daniel, a Jewish guy, and Israel. Verse 20, making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill. What's that? Daniel, a Jewish guy, speaking of Jerusalem. Verse 22, Daniel, I've now come to give you, who? Daniel, a Jewish person. Verse 24, 77s are decreed for who? Your people, your holy city. Who's that? The Jewish people and Jerusalem. Verse 25, from issuing the decree to restore, to rebuild Jerusalem. Again, speaking of the Jewish capital, Jerusalem. Verse 26, the people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Where's it at? Jerusalem, right? Verse 27, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Where's that happen? That's the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, right? So again, common sense, folks, is where's the church in any of that? We just quoted scripture. You don't have to have 14 degrees to figure this one out. It's right there in the text. You don't have to get into the original Hebrew. It's right there in the text. Where was the word church mentioned? Nowhere. What's the context? It's all about what? Daniel, a Jewish guy, Jerusalem, Israel, right? So here's my point. How can you squeeze the church into this time frame of Daniel's prophecy, dealing with the seventh week prophecy, including the final week, the seven-year tribulation, when the whole context is what? Israel, the Jewish people, it's crazy. And it's not just the verbiage, it's also the timing. When Daniel wrote down the prophecy, the 70th week prophecy, which includes that final week that's still hanging out there, the seven-year tribulation, it was written down about 536 to 530 BC. Okay, so next question, not just the verbiage, but the timing, where was the church when Daniel wrote this down? Uh, again, for those of you hooked on math, besides Jackie, uh, the church, do the math, didn't come on the scene until Acts chapter two, which would be approximately 570 years later. So how could Daniel be referring to the church? Not just, he doesn't mention it in the verbiage because it's not about the church, but how could he be mentioning the church when the church wasn't even in existence yet? And to add more meat to that, that's why Paul says the church was not only a mystery, uh, but the Old Testament writers, which included Daniel, had no knowledge of the church. I didn't say that. Paul did, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse two, three, five. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the what? Mystery made known to who? Paul, by what? Revelation, right? As I've already written briefly. And reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Well, what's that? We'll keep reading. Which was not what? Not made known to who? Men and other generations. Would that include Daniel? Uh, yeah, and all the Old Testament writers, prophets, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, obviously the New Testament. And here it is. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So obviously the mystery is the church, right? That Jew and Gentile, during this time frame, no matter who you are, any who would call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved, Right? So again, here, here's the whole point with this aspect. How in the world could Daniel be referring to the church? How can you say the church is Israel in the seven-year tribulation like the pre-rathers do when the context doesn't even talk about the church? It's all about the Jewish people. The timing was the church wasn't even in existence for 570 years later. And then Paul specifically says it was a mystery and specifically the Old Testament writers like Daniel had no knowledge of it. It rhymes with you can't. 
right? You're denying what the scripture, you can't squeeze the church into Israel, uh, not even close. Not only that, you also see uh, what was going on. The 69th week when Jesus was cut off, shortly after that, the church was born. And basically it stopped right there at 69. That's why there's still a coming 70th week or seven year tribulation. And this also explains biblically, you know, what has God been doing for basically 2000 years? Why did he stop the clock at 69 and we're still waiting for this final seven? Well, because that's called the church age. And if you read the Bible, that's what God tells you he's been doing. He hasn't been up in heaven going, well, just kind of killing some time here, waiting for things to transpire. I don't know. One of these days, you know, I'll fulfill those promises. No, this is called the church age, right? And if you read the Bible, you'll see this is, God's been very active during this gap between the 69th and the 70th week, right? Here's what you get if you read the Bible. Once again, what a concept. Uh, he's been building his church, right? Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 2, and 1 Peter 2. He's been taking out of the nations a people for his name. Acts chapter 15, this is cool, bringing in the fullness of the Gentiles, right? That last Gentile person getting saved, Romans 11, we're out of here. And then God goes back to that final week, right? And it's focused on the Jewish people. Placing believers into a living organism, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, say, uh, listen to this, saving a showcase that will eternally display his matchless grace. Did you know the fact that you got saved during this time frame? Basically, you're in God's showcase for all of heaven. Basically a trophy, okay, is what the scripture teaches that God saved you as a trophy for all of heaven going like, can you believe God saved Andy? Look at him. Wow. They're blown away by his amazing grace. And by the way, put your name there on the, in mind. We're all, but isn't that cool? But that's what he's doing during this time frame. He's not about heaven just, well, I'm just waiting for time to pass right? Manifesting himself through his body, which is upon the earth, i.e. the church. And we sing songs about, we talk about that as now we are what? We are his eyes, his hands, his feet, we're his mouthpiece declaring the good news. During this time, Jew or Gentile, you can get saved. And guess what? Avoid that final week that you don't want to be a part of. So this whole gap, it only is explained, again, if you understand the scripture correct, uh, that that's what God's doing there in this time. But we are not going to be in that time. When the last Gentile gets saved, we're out of here. And then guess what? Daniel 9, 27, we just read it. What starts that final week? We're out of here. And then the Antichrist, my theory, shortly afterwards, I don't know when, I can't say it's going to be five seconds later or five days, I don't know. But I think shortly afterwards, he's going to make a covenant with Israel. That's what starts that seven-year tribulation. And it's a good thing we see no signs of anybody desires on the planet anytime soon to make a treaty with Israel to bring peace to the middle. It's that close, folks, right? But that's what God's been doing. So you can't say that the church, okay, is Israel, okay? Uh, the seven-year tribulation we saw is dealing with Daniel, a Jewish person, the Jewish people, Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, not the church. The audience is Jewish through and through, right? It's the house of Israel. It's not the body of Christ. It's called a time of trouble for Jacob, not a time of trouble for the church. It's not called Paul's doom, Peter's demise, Ananias' agony. It's Jacob's trouble, a Jewish name for the Jewish people for a Jewish time, not the church. But again, this is the game that pre-rathers play, same as post-trib, mid-trib. They got a preconceived idea, the church is in the seven-year tribulation, and I've got to make it fit. But it doesn't fit the scripture. You're violating scripture. One guy says this, the pre-wrath view confuses the mysterious church age and church history with Israelite history. 
But the Bible declares that God has a distinct program for the church and a distinct program for Israel, and you can't confuse the two. And one of the most clear, complete chronological prophecies that God's ever given to us is what we just read, Daniel 9, the 70th week prophecy. Okay, it clearly says 70 weeks are determined for thy people and your people, the holy city, which is the Jews in Jerusalem. 490 years total. And of the 490 years, the last seven is yet to be uh, fulfilled. And after the first 69 weeks, the Messiah was cut off. And we know that the church age began less than two months after that and was cut off. And we're still waiting for that final week. God's prophetic time clock, listen, stopped ticking after uh, all these years. And the clock stopped ticking after the 69th week. And listen, and it will not resume ticking until what? The time of the gap is over. That last Gentile gets saved. And then it starts again on the 70th week. Okay. And that's why the pre-trib position just happens to perfectly harmonize, not just with scripture, but the 70th week prophecy and the audience of who it's dealing with. Okay, the pre-wrath view sees the church as being on earth during a large part of Daniel's 70th week, five and a half years of it. But the scripture says what? It has nothing to do with the church. Now, unfortunately, they don't stop there. Because again, this is what these positions do. They have to have the church in there somewhere. Now, we're supposed to let the scripture speak out to us, right? But no, I got an idea in my head. I want the church to be there. So here comes the squeeze game, I call it. Now, they not only try to say that the church is Israel, we just blew that out of the water biblically, but they also try to say that we're the same thing as the tribulation saints. Now, I'm not going to reteach you that. We've already dealt with that in great detail as well. Okay, but basically the tribulation saints, according to the Bible, those are the people who get saved what? After the seven-year tribulation. Now, praise God, you got saved. And just like with the Jewish people, God's not done with them. He's going to have a remnant. One third, he's going to sovereignly protect. Revelation 12, the archangel Michael. But at the same time, God's also going to, even in the midst of his judgment, extend his grace and mercy to what's called the inhabitants of the earth, the non-Jewish people, right? The Gentiles, which is everybody's a non-Jew, you're a Gentile, right? And so you could get saved. But the problem is you should have got saved now in the church age to avoid the whole thing because the scripture is very clear. There's no protection going on there. You're going to be slaughtered like flies, including decapitation. Revelation is very clear about that. You don't want to be there. But that's who the identity of the tribulation saints are. Okay, as we saw, just because you see the word saint doesn't mean it's always referring to a church age saint. There's actually four different saints mentioned in the scripture. And this is what they're doing. They're violating context. If you read the Bible, you see there's Old Testament saints. There's New Testament saints referring to us today. There's tribulation saints, those who get saved after the church age in the seven year tribulation. And there's even millennial saints. So just because you see this word saint doesn't mean it's the church. And that's what these guys do. They violate because again, they've got to squeeze the church in there somewhere, right? One guy says this, the pre-wrath rapture view is confusing, including its identification, the tribulation saints, and those who get saved, they say, during the 70th week, the seven-year tribulation. They say, watch this, approximately three-quarters of these last seven years, five and a half years of the seven-year tribulation will belong to the church age. Do you catch that? The church age, they say, continues on, doesn't stop at the rapture, and then God focused on Israel, like the Bible says. They said, no, 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 it keeps going five and a half years into it, okay, is what they say. Now, the problem is it creates a lot of contradictions in the scripture, which is a sign you got it wrong. For instance, right, uh, it, what about the 144,000 Jewish witnesses described in Revelation 7 and 14? If they are saved during the first five and a half years, then wouldn't they be members of the church and taken up in the rapture? But they say... These people don't get rapture. But you said the church age continues up until that point. 
So anybody who gets saved, according to your position, has to be a part of the what? The church. So that's the first contradiction. The second is, what about the great multitude from every nation described in Revelation 7, 9? They are identified as those who've come out of the great tri- uh, tribulation, Revelation 7, 14. Pre-wrath says this multitude is the raptured church. But the vast amount of church age saints never came out of the great tribulation. How many of you guys can confer that? Because we're not there, right? Okay, and so here's the problem, okay? We lived on earth prior to the 70th week, and hence the raptured church consists only of those who come out of the great tribulation, according to you, but then how does that work? Unless you're teaching a partial rapture, which is another false view. So that falls apart. Let me give you one more. Again, once you tweak with the scripture, everything is messed up, the whole timing, the whole chronology, leave it alone, and it flows like butter. Let me give you one more they mess up. The Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says the tribulation saints, okay, are those, as we would see in the scripture, who believed after the rapture took place, okay? And uh, these saints are a part of the current, uh, uh, they're not a part of the current church age, okay? They are those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ after the rapture, and listen, they got killed. It specifically says these people get killed for their testimony for Jesus Christ. But all believers in this present age have not been killed. How many guys have been killed? Raise your hand. Wow. You guys really are wiped out from that last conference, aren't you? Right? The rest of you didn't raise your hand. You're scaring me. Right? But all believers in this present age have not been killed for a testimony for Jesus Christ, as it says these tribulation saints are. So how could we be the tribulation saints? Do you see what's going on here? As one guy says, listen, once again, the pre-wrath heresy is refuted by the word of God. And when you ignore clear-cut dispensational distinctions, quote, much confusion results. In other words, you got it wrong. Do you see the fatal error? That's not how you interpret the scripture. You don't go to the scripture, I got this idea and it's gonna, I'm going to make it work. That's what they do, they twist. And they not only twist the church with Israel, the church with the tribulation saints, two totally different audiences. Let me give you one more. They also unfortunately twist Matthew 24. And I'm not going to reteach you that. We had a whole study on that. But basically, as a recap, Matthew 24 has nothing to do with the church, right? Uh, how, how many times do you see the word church mentioned in there? Zero. Part of the reason why is because that was Matthew 24. Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. The church wasn't even born yet. So, of course. But you also take a look at the context of Matthew 24. It's not like clearly speaking about the Jewish people, but it's the Jewish people in a perfect chronological order of the events of the seven-year tribulation, which we just saw Daniel 9 is all about, right? So, of course, you're not going to find the church in there because it doesn't have anything to do with the church. But we also know by the context there, it's not dealing with the church because what's Jesus say? The first thing he says He starts talking about a temple that will be destroyed. And then later in the seven-year tribulation, it'll be rebuilt. And this antichrist goes up there and commits the abomination of desolation. But if you read the scripture as Christians, it's not referring to us because is our focus right now ever to be on a man-made temple or a rebuilt temple? No, we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He also says to those people at that time in the seven-year tribulation, the Jewish people, he says that when that happens, the abomination of desolation, you need to run. You need to flee, right, to the mountains. A lot of people believe that's in the area of Petra. Can the whole church fit into Petra? No, but a Jewish remnant can. And then he even mentioned there specifically, and boy, when that happens, you better pray that your flight, fleeing, doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Obviously, that's not the church. I mean, do we, the church, keep the Jewish traditional Saturday Sabbath today? No, but the Jewish people do, still do to this day of whom this is addressed, okay? So again, you can't say that this is what's going on here in Matthew 24, okay? But again, that's what they do because they've got to squeeze the church 
in there somewhere, okay? And that's why we reject it. Because once again, like a house of cards, you tweak with the scripture, everything starts falling apart, okay? Unfortunately, that's not all. They not only confuse the identity of the church, they confuse the placement of the church, okay? And one of the big problems they have is they put us in the seven-year tribulation, but that means we're on earth when the Antichrist is on earth. How many guys can figure that out without any help? Here's the problem. Shocker, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist can't appear until what? We disappear. I didn't say that. God did. You create another contradiction in the scripture. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8, for the secret power of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is what? Already at work. What do you, what do you think, just to, to do a synopsis uh, on, on what we just did last week with the Great Reset Conference, in a nutshell, it's that verse. The secret power of lawlessness, the Antichrist kingdom, is what? Already being laid before our very eyes. Now, we're not in the seven-year tribulation. He's not here yet, but you can see the foundations being laid, the underpinnings, the dotting the I's, crossing the T. Is that close, right? And that's what the scripture says. Right now, that's what's going on. It's already at work, but watch this. The one who now holds it back will continue to do so until what? He is taken out of the way. And then once this one is taken out of the way, what happens? According to the chronology of the Bible, then the Antichrist is revealed, okay, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, destroy with the splendor of his coming. Now, again, we've already dealt with this in massive detail, who this one is, and we saw biblically, it is what? The Holy Spirit's presence in the church, okay? And so according to the Bible, here's the proper chronological order, okay? The church has to what? Right now, we're seeing the Antichrist rise, right? The Bible calls this the restraining influence, right? And then, so right now, we're not only the salt and the light, the preservative of our culture, speaking up against the darkness, preserving against moral decay, but we're to restrain, not comply, not go along with, we're to restrain against the evil, including the tyranny, even our own country, that is unfolding. That's what we're supposed to do. That's who we are as the church. But here's the deal. What's the Bible say? When we leave, bang, at the rapture, then the Antichrist can make his appearance. Makes perfect sense, right? And it makes perfect sense because guess what? No wonder he can't appear right now. Because if we were still here, as these people say in the seven-year tribulation, who would be the first ones pointing this guy out? Ah, there he is. He made that covenant. Woo-wee, don't listen to him. Here's what he's going to do. And because the Bible tells us exactly what he's going to do. We'd be the first one blowing his plan. So of course we have to leave like the Bible teaches before he can manifest and the seven-year tribulation begins. But again, uh, that's what you get uh, if you study the scripture, which I highly recommend. But guess what? They know this too. So you know what they do? They say, oh, no, no, this restraining influence is not the church. Listen to who they remake it into. Because they can't have it to be the church because it doesn't fit their preconceived idea. Watch this. The pre-raposition makes confusing the claim that, listen, the archangel Michael is the one that's spoken of here, the restraining influence. Okay, and the reason why is because this restraining influence prevents the man of sin from being revealed. So you can't have it to be the church because you want the church to be in there. But the problem is that's not what the scripture teaches. So according to the pre-wrath view, the church, listen, will still be on earth at the time when the man of sin is revealed. They believe the church will be on earth and suffer the severe persecutions of the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. And that's why pre-wrathers had to find somebody else to play the role of the restrainer, but their confusing and unwarranted identification of the restrainer as the Archangel Michael is, quote, easily refuted. 
In other words, you disagree with the Bible, you're wrong, is the code word that's being used there. It's ridiculous. But again, you understand why they're doing it. I don't condone it. But again, like a house of cards, once you go into the scripture and say, this is what I want it to, I want the church to be in there, then it makes a mishmash out of everything. And unfortunately, that's what they do. But hey, let me give you one final one. And they confuse the promises to the church, right? Last time I checked, Jesus promising that we're not going to spend one nanosecond in the seven-year tribulation as he defines it, the worst time in the history of mankind, so horrible that unless God shortened that time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. I'm kind of thinking that's kind of a cool promise. Anybody glad about that? Yeah, that's why it's called the blessed hope, right? Not the beating of the bride. The blessed hope, right, is what it says. Now, again, I didn't say that. He did, right? Here's the promise. People say, oh, there's not one verse in the Bible that says you're not going to be there. Excuse me, what Bible are you reading? Here's one. Revelation 3.10, Jesus speaking to the church, right? He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will what? I will also keep you from just a regular trial? No, the, the article's in front of it. It's specific. The hour of trial that is to come upon what? Just a generalized society, an earthquake in your city or something like, no, the whole world to test those, including the church. No, those who live on earth, which presupposes the promises made to the church. If it's those who live on earth, where must we be? Not on the earth. But this is a promise from Jesus. And folks, that's clearly the seven-year tribulation. I don't know how you get around that. The whole context is global. It's a specific trial to test those. It's a seven-year tribulation. It's a promise from Jesus, basically, which, and he, he doesn't say, and you'll always have a perfect life. You'll dress in this incredible golf suit that Pastor Billy's wearing, acting like he won the Masters, but he didn't because he doesn't play golf. I know it's true. <laughs> right? No, you're going to drive a Cadillac. You're going to have a perfect... No, he's never promised that. He's promised that what? You're going to have trials. There's going to be persecution. And you're going to have to endure patiently. Don't deny my name. You keep preaching the truth. But you know what? You'll never, ever, my bride, my beloved bride, you will never be a part of the seven-year tribulation. That's going to come upon this world, and I'm going to pour out my wrath not for my bride. You'll never get my wrath. I saved you from the wrath. You'll never be a part of that. It's for those who, unfortunately, like the Simpsons, are mocking and scoffing that they could have had a way out. I loved them. I died for everyone, anyone and anyone. But if you don't want it, God will honor your decision. But judgment day is coming. He's not going to let all this wickedness and evil continue on forever. You could receive his forgiveness now and praise God. You'll never get to be a part of that. But be rest assured, it is coming. He's going to have the last word on this baloney, including this great reset, new world order baloney that we're seeing today, including the junk that's going on in our own country. He's coming back. But this is a promise from Jesus. And this is why, listen, it's confusing the promises made to the church. That's an, that's an amazing promise from Jesus. It's clearly speaking of you're going to be spared from that time frame. But post-trib, including pre-wrath and mid-trib, any position that puts the church in the seven-year tribulation, just called Jesus a liar. I got a problem with that. And then think about what they're so-called, it's not even just calling Jesus a liar. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's like, why, why do we call it a blessed hope? It should be called, relabel it the big fat beating. Because that's what you're saying. Right? And one guy puts it this way. He says, the pre-wrath view in their handling of Revelation 3.10 to be kept from the hour of trial 
They redefine it in a confusing way. Why? Because they want the church to be in there. And they know this is a promise that we're not going to be in there, so they got to turn it into something else, like the Archangel Michael thing. And here's what they do. This is crazy. They even contradict themselves. It all falls apart, right? According to them, this time of testing is really speaking of the Great Tribulation in the seven-year tribulation. And that the rapture in the day of the Lord is going to follow that time of testing. So here's what, how they redefine that verse. They say, because you have kept my uh, word uh, and my patience during the first three and a half years, I will keep you from the hour of testing or the great tribulation. Now, here's the problem. And I quote, the problem is the pre-wrath view teaches, okay, on the one hand, Revelation 3.10, they say is a promise from God to keep the church from the great tribulation. But if you understand their view, they say that the church will be on the earth during the entire time of the great tribulation. You get it? They even contradict themselves. Why? Because they have to twist it into something else. That's why this thing just keeps falling apart time and time again. And again, when you start making mishmash out of the scripture, you contradict saying, no wonder, uh, you know, we reject it because you're disagreeing with the scripture. But again, uh, last time I checked, that's not going to be a good time during the seven-year tribulation. In fact, the Bible is very clear uh, that it's something we should look forward to, not what they say. Watch this. According to the pre-wrath theory, the church will be on earth. Listen, here's their version of the blessed hope. The church will be on earth when the Antichrist makes that treaty with Israel, which we saw Daniel 9, starts the seven-year tribulation. And then the church will enter into that 70th week, the final week, and then pass through the whole first half of the three and a half years, the first part. And then we're still going to be, according to them, on earth during the significant part of the second half of the 70th week. And they teach, listen, here's your encouraging words. They teach that the church must be on the earth during the entire period called the Great Tribulation and will not be raptured until after the Great Tribulation. And then they teach that the church and saints, listen, that you and I are going to be on earth to decide whether or not we're going to have to accept the mark of the beast, whether or not we're going to suffer and die for Christ, if necessary, under the persecution of the Antichrist. So repeat after me, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You can't. And I'm not making that up. That's what the Bible says. Right after Paul got done talking about the rapture, the very next verse, what's he say? Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And then he says it again the next chapter. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. This is why not just the pre-wrath position, the post-trib position, mid-trib position, if we're in there for half of it, three quarters of it, all of it, you deny the scripture. That's not encouraging. Hey, you're going to be there for the Antichrist. Hey, you're going to be here when all the asteroids slam in the earth. Hey, you're going to have your head chopped off. You're going to be slaughtered like flies. Hey, there's going to be all kinds of wars. One-fourth of the earth is going to be annihilated. Another one-third is going to be annihilated. You're going to deal with the Antichrist. The market beast, yay, encourage one another with these words. <laughs> And we laugh at it, but that's really what they're doing. You destroy the promise of Jesus. You're not going to be there, church. I love you. Number two, I can't encourage somebody with that. Not even joking around. And I like joking around. (laughs) It's crazy. That's why we reject it. Okay, it's not encouraging. Not only that, let me close with this. Here's really what the pre-rathers say we should be looking for. They deny the imminency of the rapture. I don't know if you checked or not, but it's getting a little bit difficult these days right? Have you noticed that? Everything, all the prices of food is going up, but have you noticed they're still keeping chicken really low? <laughs> That's evil, folks, right there. No, but seriously, we're, uh, we're not promised it's not going to be, but it's, guess what? It's, it's happening. We're watching the pieces. It's not falling apart. It's falling into place. 
But it's the squeeze is starting to be put on, even the United States of America. Now, it's concerning, but we're not to be fearful or to get excited because it's, God doesn't tell us exactly when, but it's a sign it's getting close. So we're looking around every day, doing our rapture practice. Could it be today? Pre-rap, they say, uh-uh, no. Here's where your focus needs to be, right? I'm not joking. Think about it. According to the pre-rap position, the rapture of the church is not an imminent event, and it cannot take place today, according to them. They destroy imminency. In fact, they say it's impossible for the Lord Jesus to come to get his church today. It can't take place next week, uh, the week after that, next month, not even next year. Watch this. They say it can't happen for at best for many years to come, right? Which destroys imminency, which is a doctrine in the Bible, right? Instead of looking for the Savior from heaven, as the Bible says, Philippians chapter 3.20, they say, ah, you should be looking for that signing of the treaty of the seven-year tribulation. Instead of looking for that blessed hope, even the glorious appearing of our great God, Titus chapter 2, 13, they say, "Uh uh-uh, you need to be looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. But this is what they say should be our focus. No wonder people are all freaked out, right? Instead of looking for the bridegroom, John 14, what? He's going to the Father's house. He's coming back to get us, to take us where he is. They say, "Uh uh-uh, you need to be looking for the man of sin. Instead of rejoicing the fact that we shall not all sleep in the twinkling of eye, woo-hoo, anybody glad to get a new body? Yeah, you young whippersnappers, you'll get it recently. But, uh, right? but no, they said, no, 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 don't look forward to that. We should be bracing ourselves to face the persecution of the Antichrist and possible death as a so-called Christian. Instead of the uh, Lord being at hand any moment, Philippians 4, 5, they said, no, he's at least many years away. Instead of rejoicing the fact that his coming is drawing near, James 5, 8 says that. They said, uh-uh, you should be sober with the thought that the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year tribulation is drawing near, and you're going to be in big trouble. Right? Instead of looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jude 21, they say, uh, we should be looking for the greatest time of tribulation this world has ever known. And instead of waiting expectantly for his son from heaven, that's what the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, they say, uh, you need to be waiting for the abomination of desolation, and then you better hold in because you ain't done yet. I don't reject the pre-wrath because I'm just a chicken and I can't deal with suffering. I reject it because your position contradicts the Bible over and over and over again. That's why we reject it. And my encouragement to you is, I don't know what your game is. We've used the phrase earlier on in our study. What, you just, are you a tribulation wannabe? As one guy said, you just want the church to be in there and you're just stuck on that? You know, just don't, you just, it just has to, you just don't confuse me with the facts. I, you Listen, that's not how we interpret the scripture. You let God speak out to you what is true. And if you do that, I'm convinced you can't hold to that position. I'm convinced you're going to come out pre-trib every time. Right? Unfortunately, that's not the only one that we're going to deal with. Okay? The next one we're going to deal with is this incredibly wonderful, encouraging news of the mid-trib position. As you can see, this lady loves this wonderful truth. Right? Post-trib said, oh, you're going seven years. Pre-wrath, we just finished up. Oh, no, three-quarters of the year through. Mid-trib says, not halfway through. Encourage one another with these words. No, it's wrong, folks. Once again, just like the other ones, unfortunately, we're out of time. And so we'll have to deal with that. Lord willing, next time, there's your cliffhanger. But hey, as always, again, what's the point? It's not just knowing about the rapture. It's making sure that you're ready for the rapture. And if you're here today, I don't know your heart, but if you're not saved, you need to get saved. This is not a game. Don't scoff and mock it like the Simpsons and make a big deal out of it. And even getting to the point where they don't just mock God and Christianity and the Bible, that's been going on for a long time. Now you're specifically mocking 
the rapture, when we're this close to the rapture, don't do that. You need to get saved right now. God loves you. He's made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. If you would just ask for that, please do that today. Don't be left behind, not left below. But if you are saved, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm ready for the rapture. What are you doing about it? I don't know if I ever told you this, but you ever wonder why the teaching ministry is called Get a Life Media? It's because I started teaching on prophecy right after 9-11. And my first senior pastor in California. That's when God spanked me as one of those shepherds that thought, yeah, there's lots to teach on. Maybe if we'll get to prophecy one of these days. And I wasn't doing it. Even after being trained to do it. So I get that mindset, but it's wrong. You're supposed to teach the whole counsel of God. And certainly in these days, come on. When the church more than ever needs to know what's going on, how to be prepared. Not out of fear, but out of faithfulness. But it wasn't, and when I started teaching on prophecy, it wasn't just going like, wow, we're really living in the last days. To me, it was, what's the logical conclusion as a Christian? If we're really living in the last days, it's how do you get God's word out as fast as possible, as far reaching as possible to as many as you can with what time is left, right? And what dropped in my head back in 2001 was media. And so ever since then, the teaching ministry is all about, if you read the tagline, sharing the world, Jesus Christ, one piece of media at a time. Any piece of media, whatever media, because that's how you do it. And so it's not enough to know we're in the last days. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Oh, I'm ready for the rapture, but are you witnessing? Are, 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 you, are, you, are you standing up? What, what's, what's the influence? We're supposed to be the salt and the light, but as we await the rapture, the scripture even tells us our identity is the church. What we should be doing is we await the rapture. We're to what? Restrain. Restrain specifically, what's the context? The underpinnings of the rise of the Antichrist kingdom. Now, we're not there yet, but we see the signs of it. Are you speaking up against it? Not only, of course, are you sharing the gospel. That's number one. But are you also living up to your identity as a Christian as we await the rapture? And are you restraining against even the tyranny that we're seeing in our country right now? Or are you going along with it for the sake of expediency? Are you compromising with it? Are you keeping your mouth shut? And you know what's crazy? I think history is repeating itself. Did you know that many believe that Hitler, he's not the Antichrist, he wasn't the Antichrist, but many believe he was a type of, if you will, a dry run of an Antichrist? And did you know that he not only instituted the Holocaust, which wasn't just Jewish people do the study, he murdered millions of Christians. The Holocaust, a world megalomaniac political figure who tried to rule the planet. And did you know the church at that time, you know what they did? This, what I'm about to show you is true, true, based on a true story. They just sang a little louder, put their heads in the sand, and acted like this tyranny wasn't going on, let alone the Holocaust. Watch this. This is why.
there are some things that time does not erase. Sometimes the only way forward is by facing the past. This is my story. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning at the exact same time, we heard the whistle from a distance, and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. It was at the same time every Sunday. We felt the rattling from the trail of cattle cars, accompanied by the screeching of metal that would echo through our church walls. It was a Sunday in the spring that would change my life forever. Jesus said, "Do not resist an evil doer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek." Turn the other also, loving your enemy. This is a far better way. This is how we were called to live. To understand this unnatural virtue, we must look to Jesus Christ as our model and our guide. His meekness was his strength. His silence, his statement to the world. We must pray for those who persecute us. Prayer is the mechanism that reaches heaven and moves mankind. Prayer. It's easy to underestimate prayer.
have passed and no one talks about it much anymore. I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear him crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. God forgive us. For those of us who called us Christians and did nothing the first time when the precursor, the test run of the Antichrist, Hitler, was unleashed on the scene. And we just sang louder to drown out the noises. We stuck our head in the sand as they perished on their way. Do we not understand the days that we live in? It's repeating, except this time I'm convinced it's going to be the real Antichrist. And the scripture says there's an even greater Holocaust that's coming than the first one. 
And so here we are. Before you cop on those German Christians, what about us? Are we saying anything? And yes, number one, the glorious gospel should be the tune that we're singing on our lips. But we need to speak up as the restraining influence against the tyranny that is happening even in our own country. Or what are we doing? Just sing a little louder. Turn the music up. Act like it's not going on. Comply, comply, comply. Go, and, and then preach messages of love, 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 and abuse Revelation or Romans 13 that says you've got to submit to authorities, not when they disagree with God. Are you speaking up and being that restraining influence? Because it's happening before our very eyes. This time it's the real one. Or are you purposely going to church service? That tickle your ears. Love, love, love. Comply, comply, comply. acting like none of this is going on. I hope we here at Sunrise never turn into that church and that we live up to our biblical identity as Christians awaiting the rapture. We are to restrain. That means we speak up and we stand up against evil. And we share the gospel, the good news. You don't want to be a part of the seven-year tribulation train that is coming. And we speak up and tell them about Jesus, how to get off that train track before it's too late. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, "...you shall not bear false witness." That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief, Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy, even His name is holy. Hey folks, let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard, 
uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what do we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. 
Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.